Salutations, welcome one and all. You are listening to Culture Bop Selects, the official pop culture and media discussion podcast of Culture Bop. We have got a great episode for you today. Uh, this is episode three. Six. No, this is not episode three. This is episode six. I don't know how to type or read. Um, and I am your host, the one and only Bebop man, Josh McMullen. And I am joined today by my co-host for this podcast, the one and only Gilbeezy, Mr. Gilbert Kitchens. How is it going, man? Uh, yo, fall just decided to fuck right off. Right? We it's just, just skipped, like... Just fucking, it's winter now. Just fuck it. <laughs> I woke up this morning and uh, the interior of the house, or like the temperature inside the house was 59 degrees and I was like... Okay, well, that doesn't usually happen until, like, December or January. <laughs> right. It's ridiculous. But uh, I also feel like yesterday when I walked outside, it was, like, 70 degrees, so... Yeah, it's still that weird middle thing where, like, the middle of the day it's warmer, but... But, yeah, yeah it's uh, it's definitely... Christmas is right around the corner, like winter i'm in, I'm in snowville they've already just, started putting up the wreaths in the city you know on the lights and all that stuff oh the lord candy canes and the, <laughs> yeah so. i i keep seeing like this like uh, whenever i walk through a store like i we walked through um uh oh actually we walked through Kohl's last night because we were looking for some stuff to uh to take with us up to chicago like some some kind of like lightweight jackets and stuff yeah and um they had like Black Friday deals going on already, and I was like, "What? Yeah, like, November just started." <laughs> there's that. I know, like, they're trying to get all out ahead of it because, like, I know Walmart has their little Walmart Plus subscription thing, mm-hmm. and if you subscribe to that, you can get their Black Friday deals now or so. I don't know. Yeah, they're all just, they're all probably it's probably half paranoia about this year in general, but also just like. Uh, how are we going to have all these crowds given the current yeah. situation? So like, how do we make sure we're making the money without, you know, relying on everybody actually coming out to be in these crowds? Yeah, I actually, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, I think last year target was actually closed, um, all day on Thursday. Hmm. And then they were limiting how many people were coming in Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Hmm. So this year should be a little bit better since, you know, vaccines are widely available and people, I think, aren't as worried anymore. But I think I yeah. think one way or the other, people are kind of getting over it. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that was uh, that was that was weird seeing the Black Friday deals. And then, uh, yeah, like you said, that like the um, Christmas stuff is already coming out like the day before Halloween. I walked into Walmart to grab like a couple more things for um, the party that we were supposed to be having. Mm. And uh, like the entire Halloween section had been like moved to one little aisle and the rest of it was all Christmas stuff. Yeah, they don't. I was was like, what the fuck, guys? Like like, Halloween is tomorrow. But yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean. I don't have much to talk about because uh, work has been fucking crazy this week. Do you got anything uh, else that's going on besides Christmas and winter? I'm, I'm playing Forza Horizon like a fucking crack addict. 
Yeah, yeah. I saw uh, either last night or earlier this morning, you're level 31. I was like, what the fuck, man? Dude, three and four, I played a few hours of each, and it was like, mm-hmm. it was fine. And I kind of came back to them maybe every once in a while, whatever. I th- Something about this one for five has got me hooked. Like, I seriously, I played, I haven't sat there, like, as you get older, you don't have the luxury of just spending all day playing video games. Mm-hmm. But, like, I haven't done that in probably, like, a year and a half, two years. Um, and, man, yesterday I was just sitting... I, I just got Forza in the morning and just was sitting there all day playing it. It was wild. I haven't done that in forever. But uh, Damn. Yeah, outside of that, uh, nothing, nothing out of the usual, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, fair enough. I... Do I have been a big fan of the Horizon series since two? I think three is my favorite. Although I I put a fuck ton of hours into two, three, and four. Um, this one's got the same stickiness to it. I don't know what's like. I don't know what the magical formula is that Playground Games has, but like they've got it, and these games are fucking ridiculously fun. I will say this is the best map they've done, I think, just in terms of the diversity of locations and all that. It's just, it's never not fun to drive around. Mm, yeah, I don't, I don't think that I have probably gotten around to enough of it, but yeah, Australia was cool in three, but there was like, it was like basically the beach area, little like wooded area, and then the desert. Yeah. And then I felt like... Last the last one was in what England, right? Yeah, so it was, it was a little bit more diverse, but it was still kind uh, of like it was a bunch of green hills and yeah, I don't know. But this one, yeah, I, I definitely understand. Like, there's there's the whole like little desert section. There's little like uh like beach towns. There's like yeah. the mountain area, jungle like, ruins, uh, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and I can so say is, for a fact that I have seen the entire map. So yeah, yeah, I saw that you little bastard. <laughs> Uh, but yeah well we're not here to talk about Forza unfortunately Um, maybe sometime in the near future but um, we are excited to talk about one of my favorite pieces of media of all time this week Uh, it's actually the namesake for my online identity and partially for the family of content that uh, we are bringing you right now and I am, of course, talking about 1998's anime series, Cowboy Bebop. Um, well, go ahead. Tell me about your first exposure to this wonderful piece of media. So when it comes to anime, I didn't watch any of it as a kid. Um, mm. I was just never really exposed to it. And then when I found it, uh, in like, I don't know, maybe late middle school and into high school, definitely. I thought, these people are fucking weird. I don't want anything to do with this. Like, the, the awkward anime kids in school. <laughs> my best oh, friend yeah. my best friend was one of them, but he somehow was able to, like, compartmentalize it. And, like, go, mm-hmm. eh, this guy's not into anime. We'll just, we'll keep it to the other stuff, whatever. Um, but I pretty much avoided it entirely. So, like, Cowboy Bebop, I never heard of it. Or if I did, it just went over my head. It wasn't a thing I ever heard talked about. Uh, mm. growing up or anything uh, and then I don't know like four years ago now it probably was mm-hmm. I heard about a show that sounded so ridiculous I was like I gotta watch this and it was Kill a Kill 
Like, okay, yeah. I heard yeah. about it, and there, she was like, oh, and the, the, the clothes bust off, and the clothes give them power, but the more naked she is, the more powerful she is. And I was like, this sounds so stupid. I'm going to watch an episode of this, and I'm just going to you know what, laugh at it and think, wow, this is stupid, and whatever. And then, so, like, at the end of the weekend, I had finished the entire series, and because I just got hooked on it, and then I went to my anime friend from high school and was like, dude, you got to give me, I, I didn't realize anime was this cool, like, you got to tell me some more. Uh, and long story short, he recommended Samurai Champloo, which is kind of a sister uh, series to this, mm -hmm. really. Same creators and very similar, uh, a lot of concepts are shared between them. Um, and I watched that, and when that was done, I found out about Cowboy Bebop. Uh, and I, I, I never, I'll, I feel bad now because of how much I enjoyed watching this just now, but, um. I tried starting it a few times and got like two, three episodes in and it just didn't grab me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really just kind of didn't watch it until I was preparing for this show and then got through those first few episodes again and then just completely got hooked. Mm, so gotcha. That's kind of the, the path to here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's awesome. Kill the kill is a lot of fun. That, show is ridiculous but it's a lot of fun oh yeah the, the, um, the opening scene where uh i don't know the big the big enforcer guy at the school is chasing that student <laughs> that that i was completely sold on the show from that first scene i was like oh this is fucking rad i'm into this whatever yeah. the hell this is so, yeah. uh and well i think we'll definitely get to uh samurai champloo at some point i i really adore that show um i think that show's really great um but, uh, yeah, I remember uh, it was probably sometime around 2001 or 2002. Uh, I was staying the night at a friend's, and we stayed up late to watch um, Adult Swim because they had the, like, I think it was like the uncut versions of Dragon Ball or something like that. And um, we were, like, interested to see what that was about. And one of the shows that just so happened to come across our uh viewing that night was cowboy bebop and i was like just immediately drawn to it um i think the episode that was on tv was the uh was session six the one with the little boy um yeah. I, I forget his name but the the one who plays the blues and um yeah, and just for whatever reason, I was, like, completely in awe of it, and I was immediately like, all right, I I need to watch more of this. And I remember, like, begging my mom to, like, there was a store, I don't know if you remember it or not, uh, called, uh, oh, was it called Media Play? Um, it was it was something like that. Media I don't remember the Okay. Well, there was one, it was over in Alpharetta, like across yeah, from yeah, yeah. like the, the mall or whatever. Jeez, and, uh, it's like 20 <laughs> years ago, man, me to play. Yeah. 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 That was a long ass time ago. And, um, I, uh, I remembered we would go in there because my dad like was always looking for like old, like CDs of like rock yeah. and roll and shit. And I remember distinctly looking for the DVD for Cowboy Bebop and like finding like the, the different sets and stuff and like just begging my mom to get them for me because I just I had to watch this show. So like 
I, I don't know what it was, but something just left like such an impression on me. And, um, you know, since then, uh, it's, <laughs> I don't want to say it's become my ad- identity, but it's, it's one of like my, the first email I ever signed up for was bebopman182 at yahoo.com in like, I think like the eighth grade, ninth grade, something like that. And then like after that, like that became my moniker on Xbox live and then a PlayStation. And like, now it's just like, it's who, who I am. (laughs) And, um, yeah. So it, it left a big impression on me. Um, but, uh, I wanted to get into a little bit of the, uh, the kind of history of, of the show and, uh, kind of, I guess like how it started. But, uh, from what I was reading based on, um, like just going through Wikipedia and like articles that they, they link to and stuff. Uh, so this was something that was, uh, commissioned by sunrise, uh, animation studio and um basically those people had worked in the past with a couple of the the names on this uh casting or well not casting crew but of this crew and they wanted to uh work with them again uh they had done so on like uh Macross Plus and um uh Gundam 0083 the Stardust Memory which i think is a standalone series. Um, I don't think that's actually attached to anything else in the Gundam franchise anyway. Um, but so they, they went to, um, uh, Shinichiro Watsonabe and they were like, Hey, uh, your team did real great work. Do you want to come and make something for us? And so he basically brought his entire team with him and, this is what they came up with. Um, and that's really all I could kind of find about it. Uh, like I, I think that it was, um, originally the goal was to like, uh, sell toys like spaceship toys. Um, and basically the only directive that they were given was, Hey, um, you can kind of do whatever. So long as you have spaceships in it, and uh, that's kind of where the whole thing came from. Um, yeah, what I read was basically because uh, there was hype leading up to the Star Wars prequels. Everybody knew that was mm-hmm. the special editions were in development and the prequels were coming after and all that. Everybody was just kind of wanted to sell space toys because they knew from you know the 70s and 80s that fucking space toys can make money. So, yeah, that, that's basically what I had seen was that they said, hey, make us some spaceships, and you know, we don't really care beyond <laughs> that. It's it's really, really kind of funny how, like, some of these, like, really, um, like, iconic pieces of media will come from, like, little small things. Like, uh, we want to spell, sp- sp- ugh, oh, my God, we want to spell spaceship toys. Or, like, it was, like, two episodes ago, like, Halloween being set on Halloween was like some guy was like, yeah, just, just do this. Make money. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like these little things that just set series or, or pieces of media off. It's really funny to me. 
Um, but uh, with, I mean, with that out of the way, uh, the we should probably go ahead and just get into the the sort of like actual anime, like the the breakdown and everything. Um, and I think the place that we will start is probably with the animation and the character designs. Uh, character designs were from Toshiro uh, Toshiro Kawamoto. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, I'm not going to correct any of your Japanese pronunciation. Okay. Things, so. <laughs> I, I try my best to, to say them as proper as possible, but... Um, so yeah, uh, what do you think of the the character designs in this? And then we can kind of like segue that into the the actual animation itself. Um, it's kind of hard for me to separate it from the animation because they they okay. blend together so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it says a lot that in the intro, and it's hard for me because like again, I don't know these characters. But I know they are iconic. Well, I, I didn't know these characters before watching the show, but I know they are iconic in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. But it says a lot that the intro of the show can just be silhouettes, and you can get their personality from that in a lot of ways, just seeing a silhouette of the character. Um, but the way these characters are designed, and the way they move, and the you know even the to the voice acting, it all blends together so well to create such believable characters. Um, and not having seen a lot of anime, I've seen a good bit now, but not a ton of it. Some of the characters, like, I mean, Ed is cartoonishly expressive, but like the amount of emotion they're able to get out of some of these characters particularly some of the side characters but in particular like Faye um, Mm -hmm. and the amount that they can communicate with a look or a posture or a stance or anything and that speaks to you know that's what I'm saying it's it's kind of the animation and the design working together Um, but it speaks volumes to to how much work was put into this and, and just how well done it was yeah. Yeah, I totally 100% agree. I I look um to like little things that like you were you were speaking to that really I think like add to like this sort of um like I kind of like what you said with the with the silhouette thing, but like even like so Faye is in this bright yellow you know, little like get up that's very sexy. So you, you get the, the whole like femme fatale vibe from her like immediately. But also like when you think about like color theory and like stuff like that, like she, she has the red as well. And like yellow and red are always kind of like since like meant for like danger. So you also kind of get the idea that she's like, like, dangerous i guess would i mean i don't that's not really what i want to try to say but like for for lack of a better term like you get the sense that she has like a sense of like like danger about her but also you think about yellow being like a sort of like nostalgic uh like when you think about it like as a color like uh when you like 
if you if you watch like uh like old movies or not necessarily old movies but movies that are in like color and then they go back to the past it's always like sepia toned it's always like the yellow and stuff yeah and like that really informs her character because mm-hmm. she is kind of like stuck in the past and i like it's these little things about the character design that just really like even even ed with like the way that she like wears her clothes like just i i feel like uh who was it Toshiro Kawamoto. Yeah. I I really feel like they just had like this eye for like creating like these really impressive designs and uh, something you said that I think really speaks to me is like in any given scene of the anime, the way that they are postured is like very indicative of their characters. Like Jet is always like super like upright and like rigid and like that speaks to his kind of like character being like the rock of the group or like when you watch the fight scenes or not even necessarily like the fight scenes with, with spike, but like you can really tell it there. He moves so swift and so fluid. And that like, that's very much like I will get into it when we talk about his character later, but I think that that kind of speaks to his like apathy. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't know. I th- I think that the character designs are really really great here. Um, but in in terms of like uh, like animation, was there anything that kind of like I guess stood out to you? Because um, there was something that I think stood out to me this time when I was watching it, and it's that like sometimes, and maybe this is just like the way that like my memory plays tricks on me or whatever. Like I actually kind of found the animation in some parts to be kind of limited, uh, which I had never really, I guess like kind of grasped before, but when it kicks into high gear, it's like fucking like it's on it. Like the, the animation is just gorgeous. Uh, was there anything that like stood out to you in, in regards to the animation? Uh, I, I wouldn't say much stood out out and i think that's because it was good like you don't notice when things are are well done um there was nothing there was never a a moment where i was like ah that looked rough or that didn't look right or something looked weird um you could tell there was a lot of uh, they thought through a lot of these sequences and and how these action sequences were going to go it wasn't just random punches and whatever um and i do know that they they did some oh what's it called um I can't remember what it's called when you're doing it with animation, but basically you film a real person doing something and then animate over it. Mm-hmm. So you're getting a natural motion. I know they used um, for several uh, of Spike's shots. They used Bruce Lee. Um, mm, and you yeah. can, there's like, you can take a Bruce Lee film and then Spike and put them one-to-one and it's like the exact same move, same angle and everything. Um, so I think that kind of grounds it because they were using real um, outside of any pair of boobs in this show, they were using <laughs> real analogs to animate yeah. based on, you know, so the fights felt natural. The, everything really did feel good. Um, yeah. From what I understand, this show is like a budgetary nightmare because mm. of how much they were focused on, on attention to detail and everything. And at the beginning of, production the director told team basically um he said something to the effect of this is going to be a show people remember in 30 years 
So mm-hmm. basically make it like that. Keep that in mind. This is don't make this disposable. Put everything you can into this because this is going to be something special. Uh, and so I think a lot of the team really did put it forth that extra level of effort um, to making everything flow and, and work well. And you know, in the same way they use Bruce Lee uh, for Spike, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these th- uh, a lot of these scenes used uh, either old noir films or. Uh, westerns obviously it's influenced by that but i wouldn't be surprised if they use specific shots as reference um mm-hmm. for how everything was supposed to go together so they had a real world analog as they were drawing or whatever it wasn't they were just trying to make up something and make it fit yeah yeah i i totally uh, yeah i 100 percent agree with that and I, I really like how um even within like the the little like subtleties in the animation you can totally tell that like each session well not each session but like almost every session has a very unique and like uh different like tone to it like when you look at something like mushroom samba like the animations in that episode and like the detail in the We'll get into the writing in just a second, but like it, that feels like a Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> like it feels like it's something w- that was ripped from like, uh, like Jackie Brown almost like it's very, and, and to be fair, Tarantino like rips his stuff from, you know, exploitation movies from the seventies. So like yeah. it, it's very clear that like, uh, Watanabe and and the animation people, they very clearly had a reverence for like material outside of like just the known quantities or whatever. Um, and like again, I I think that the animation here just really does speak to like how it's a a weird like melding of styles that just like it completely and utterly works. Um, and I will say to some extent, I feel like maybe not so much some of the designs, but I almost feel like the way some of these, the space shots were composed had an impact back on the prequels in some way. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't be surprised if some of those animators and some of those, uh, you know, the people working on those scenes was, were seeing this show and, and kind of had some ideas for things they could do. Um, yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, well, let's, I think, move over, um, to the, uh, script. Um, how did you feel about the, uh, the more episodic nature of, of the show? Because I, I do know that, like, most anime, when people think of it, it's like a, a series like where each individual episode it like is adding to a whole story. Whereas I think that this one, like we'll get into it uh, when we talk about the themes, but like, I, I do think that um, this one, the overarching narrative for each one of these characters is very, uh, I, I don't want to say deliberately paced, but like it's broken up 
by like a lot when you compare it to something like, say, uh, you know, Full Metal Alchemist or Bleach or, you know, Naruto or whatever, where like the whole series is like one long story. This is very much told in like, like each episode is its own story and it's, and, you know, moving forward from there type thing. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, first of all, again, I saw Samurai Champloo before, so I kind of, it wasn't all that surprising. Um, mm-hmm. because that, that follows a very similar structure to this. Uh, but I think, I don't, I don't know, because even though it was, there wasn't one overall plot that was moving forward. Um, at least not story high surface level. Every Mm -hmm. episode did push things in some way. It was showing you more about the characters or having some commentary on it. Even, I mean, even the episode where they find the, the the alien episode where there's the, the mutant. Oh yeah. Toys in the attic. I think, right. That is, that is all centered around, even though it's completely comedic, that is, presenting the major theme of the show um Mm -hmm. so it's it's not like any episode was without purpose or wasn't showing you something but it was and i think it it fits the structure they're bounty hunters you're not going to have them hunting one bounty the entire time they're just on their adventures and as they're on their adventures you know piece by piece things the each character's arc progresses or or certain major events happen um Mm -hmm. but yeah 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 it, it never I honestly didn't think too much about the fact that it wasn't one overall story because it still felt like it, even though you're right. It wasn't, even though there were individual stories, you could watch an episode of this show having no idea about the rest of it and be fine. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it still felt, it felt complete at the same time. So, yeah, it, it does have a weirdly, uh, like, um, even though some of it is, is thematic, I think that there is a weird sort of like, um, uh, I guess like plot through line, so to speak, um, throughout the entire series that like, I, I genuinely did not remember, uh, from the last time that I had watched this, um, which was probably about like two or three years ago. But like each episode, even the ones that have nothing to do with like the 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 plot between like Spike and Vicious or like Faye and her past or, you know, Jet and and his past or whatever, like those still somehow propel the overall stories forward. And like, I don't know, uh, I love that it is episodic as opposed to one continuous plot, because like you said, I think that if you took away the fact that like it was episodic, their, their lives as bounty hunters kind of don't matter as much. And like that plot point just becomes like a, it it becomes irrelevant. Um, but yeah, uh, you brought up, uh, some of the themes that were expressed through that. What, uh, what was the, the one that probably like stuck out to you the most? Uh, themes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, past, past dealing with past trauma, I guess, is a way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that really is the overarching story of the show. Um, outside of Ayn, um, I guess, <laughs> uh, every character has something in their past, that, and they're dealing with it in a different way. It's not necessarily they're running from it. 
they're just confronting it in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even even Ed, who is probably the the happiest. I mean, obviously the happiest character, but like probably the 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 happiest approach to things. Because um, if you look at the character, it's pretty a sad background of her father mm-hmm. kind of dumped her at an orphanage and then forgot about her and then she left and was on her own and then whatever. But she does. She's just happy. She's just living in the moment and 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 doing whatever she wants and and having a blast doing it. Um, and even at the end, you know, when she goes off to find her father, it's not like a, it's not like she's putting all her eggs in that basket. It's just kind of more of a curiosity. Well, here's the next step, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get that approach as opposed to someone like Spike, who is, he's basically just waiting for death, and maybe. Maybe Julia's out there, but like he he's more just going to kind of walk through life until he knows one way or the other. And if he dies, whatever, Um, you know, we can get more of this when we get into the characters. But each each character has something in their past that they're trying to deal with. And we see different approaches to that through the show. And so I think that is the main uh, focus of it. Yeah, yeah, I I think that that is very clearly the overarching plot. Um, or not plot, but uh, overarching theme of the series is kind of like confronting your past or, or more specifically like confronting like past trauma, uh, in order to kind of like move on. And the, the one thing that I, I think I like that you pointed out about Ed is I do think that she's the, of the characters. Like, I, I think a lot of people, and again, we, we can get into this a little bit more later, but I think a lot of people play her off as like the comic relief mm. and like she is, but I think that she serves a really integral, uh, part to the thematic, uh, like, I guess approach to the, um, the whole crew because she's the only one that's living in the moment. Like Jet, Faye and Spike are all living in the past to some degree and they all have to like confront that past in some degree before they can kind of like move on and Ed's not doing that and I I do think that like um that it is very uh like in that way she serves a very specific purpose but um Another thing that I I wanted to kind of uh, bring up uh, as like a a possible theme is I I do think that this show was very lonely. Um, There are like shots in this show that are like, like you'll see just like a, a singular character after like at the, like at the very beginning of the first episode, right? The first thing you see is like, uh, Spike training alone in his room. Mm. And then at the end of the episode, it's Spike like training alone in his room or whatever. And I think that this show, like with, with the exception of the, the crew, um, everyone is almost always alone. Uh, and I, I feel like there's like a weird, I don't want to say the juxtaposition is not the right word, but there's, there's a weird, like, through line uh where like 
I feel like there are a lot of people within this show that are kind of like, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, they're, they're lonely. Did, did you pick up on, on that at all? Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there definitely is that together, but apart. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of situations where it's like jets ready, almost ready to just take off because, you know, spike is out on some whatever and didn't contact. And so I got whatever I got to move on. Or, yeah. uh, you know, well, uh, you know, Faye gets captured by Vicious and, and Jet's kind of like, all right, well, she's on, her, on own, her own, but <laughs> then Spike has a reason to go after, he's going after Vicious, not to save her, really. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's almost, it's, it's not, it's half loneliness, but it's like a self-inflicted loneliness. Mm-hmm. because of yeah. where they've been spike obviously isn't interested in connecting with anybody um jet's kind of better as a lone gun um and Faye, the the first memory she has is really being betrayed so she's not into you know into to forming those close bonds really um but i yeah. think kind of what we were saying about um you know past trauma kind of the there's kind of a light at the end of the tunnel for all of them. And it's this family they formed together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And part of how they, you know, how I was saying that they, they, you know, they approach their trauma in different ways is how they view that family where, mm-hmm. you know, Spike rejects it at the end. You know, he's, he's more interested in, not, he, there's more to that. We can, again, we can get into that when we get to the, his character, um, but he walks away from it. Uh, Jet's kind of okay one way or the other. He's kind of made peace with it. But at the end, I think the most tragic character of the show is definitely Faye because mm-hmm. she realizes she now has something real and it's falling apart as she realizes it. And that's mm-hmm. kind of where you leave the character. So it's you have their past trauma, you have this kind of salvation in this uh, family they found. And then you have how how they each character responds to it at the end, and it kind of all ties together through that. Yeah, I I'm glad that you brought up Faye, Faye because the last three episodes uh, are they're not all about her, but like her arc in those three episodes is just like so devastating. It's so heartbreaking, yeah. like. Because, like you said, she is she is finally realizing I, I have a place like the place that I thought that I had and that I wanted or whatever is no longer there. And like I like I don't know what I'm doing, but then like she she's like, I do have a family. I do have a place to be. And like it kind of gets ripped away from her. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's fucking it's really sad. Um. But, uh, yeah, so I think uh, the only other one that I kind of wanted to maybe brush up on is maybe just kind of like existence and like like life, I think, because I, I think that this show really is about like what it means to exist as a human being. And like, I, I don't know, I I don't know how I would maybe like uh phrase this other than to say like i i feel like cowboy bebop is the is a show that's very much about adults 
and what that means like uh well like i said like in terms of what it means to live a life like as an adult because i think i really do think that if you wound this show back just a couple of years you'd have a very conventional anime plot like a guy who is like uh formerly a syndicate warrior or whatever or syndicate enforcer and um you know he's trying to escape or escape that life or like the uh jets you know a cop who is betrayed or you know i guess the face story could kind of like be sort of the same mostly but like i i feel like it would be younger versions of themselves that like wouldn't have the same like kind of world experience that they have and like in that way i think this show is very much about like existence as an adult that like not many other animes are really about does that make sense yeah yeah uh it's you're definitely getting a lot of you know outside of their character arcs you're getting a lot of just how they move through things and how they deal with their responsibilities or don't deal with them um yeah yeah there's a lot of that in there for sure um yeah uh well i think you know probably part of that is it is coming from uh watanabe himself because i think he was a little bit older when this happened like he was probably in his uh mid to late 30s when when this was coming about so because i think he's somewhere in his 60s now um but uh anyway i i think it's a good way to transition to into his direction of this and like the sort of melding of styles and genres um what was uh i guess your takeaway from from how that's all handled uh I mean, I, I, I thought it, he kind of had the blueprint a little bit, a little bit, um, from Star Wars because Star Wars was kind of a Western in space in a lot of ways. Um, Mm -hmm. and was also heavily influenced by, uh, Akira Kurosawa. So like Japanese and, uh, Japanese filmmaking and storytelling and all that. Um, so a little bit of a blueprint there, but I I thought it, it kind of, kind of the opposite of what I said last week with Watchmen, um, where it's like, I didn't want to spend any time in that universe. Mm-hmm. I constant, I want more from the cowboy bebop universe, right? Even if it's different characters, whatever. Um, kind of in the same way. Did you watch, um, blood machines? Mm-mm. It was on, I was on that, that horror subscription thing. I don't know. It's, uh, it's basically no, an extended yeah. music video, essentially. But I remember watching that and thinking, I want, I want twenty books written in this universe. I want, you know, a movie series. I want video games. Like there were so much cool little ideas in there and visuals and stuff that I just wanted more. And that's kind of what I got here too, where it's like this idea of this space western. And there's, I could see a lot of influence of this on Firefly particularly in that oh, sense yeah. where you're in the future, but you're still using bullets and everything is still running on fuel to some extent. And, and like the culture hasn't changed too much. It's just spread out and there's different government systems and structures and there's new technology, but like, 
you know, you're, they're not eating all this weird alien food. They're just eating the same stuff we eat. It's just in the future. Um, yeah. And I thought it made it very grounded and believable, uh, even if some of the stuff they had apparently in 2020 is completely off. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> they, every time you write something in the future, go farther than you think you should. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought it all blended together great. Uh, you, you could definitely feel the noir in there or the sci-fi, obviously, or the Western influence for sure. Um, even in the storytelling itself, like, so, okay, I'm going to spoil kind of the end of Red Dead Redemption 2 here. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, okay, did you play Red Dead Redemption 2, the whole thing? Yeah. The epilogue yeah. and everything? Okay. Yeah, yeah, where you, oh, well, I... Well, I guess we're about to spoil it, but where you play is um, uh, John right. from the first game. Right. So the end of that game, there's a moment at the end of it that stuck with me. And it's like at, at the same time, it was haunting because of the story itself. But it was also just classic Western where in Westerns, you always have the moment where the man has to go do what he's got to do. And he's got to leave safety and leave his, his family and go take care of this thing. Even if his family doesn't understand why he's got to go do it. Right. And -hmm. at the end of red dead redemption, when John finds out that they've caught, uh, I can't remember any names, the boss, the old, they they know where he is. Right. And you got, it's the last Uh, mission. Dutch, Dutch, right. We know we're Dutches. We got to go get him. And he's built this nice, peaceful, quiet life for him and his family. Right. But as soon Mm -hmm. as he hears that they know where Dutch is, he goes and saddles up. And as you're riding off, I'll never forget it, the way that uh, John's wife is just screaming for him to stop. Like, she's just feeling her world falling apart. She thinks it's all about to... He's going to die. Everything is going wrong. Everything is reverting back to what it was, right? And I still remember when you're riding off, just hearing her shrieking in the background, right? Just wailing. And that's classic Western. And somehow at the end, when you have Faye's last scene, it's not as, she's not shrieking or anything, but like you're somehow getting a classic Western trope at the same time as you're resolving these two characters and their relationship. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was great because it wasn't just all these, I guess the point I'm getting at is it wasn't just taking a bunch of tropes from different genres it was using them to build the characters and integrate them into the story. It wasn't just grabbing things just for references sake. It was actually, yeah. you know, especially with, uh, you know, jet and the noir, he's a cop and he's dealing with this stuff and all the themes in his story arc tie in a lot to noir cinema. So I, I thought the way it brought everything in was brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think there's something to be said about, um, I, I've mentioned this. Uh, it's actually up now for patrons. It'll be up on Monday for everybody else. But uh, in the the newest episode of Hunting Pixels, um, I talked a little bit about uh, Last Night in Soho and how I thought that one of the themes of that movie is kind of like not losing yourself in your or not. L- 
losing who you are within your art mm. or, or like from your influences and stuff like that. Because uh, one, one of the things about that movie is like the main character, when she starts seeing the woman from the sixties, she's like, she has this really grand nostalgia for the sixties or whatever. Right. And when she starts having these like dreams or whatever about the woman from the sixties, when she goes back to her class and she's creating her art, which in this case is like, uh, she's going to be a clothing designer or whatever. She's not using, the inspiration for the outfit to create something new. She's creating that exact outfit sort of thing. And to bring it back to this is I I do think that this is like a really great, like kind of like what you said, where it's not just grabbing tropes to be like, Oh look, we we've seen movies too. It is creating its own style in a lot of ways. Like this melding of like, even when we get into the the music that we'll talk about here in just a second, like when we get into that, like it's not just strictly jazz all the time or blues all the time. It's like this, like there's stuff all over the place. There's country thrown in here. There's rock in here. Like there's even like some, some sort of like hip hop type stuff. And it's like its own thing. And I think that the, the melding of all of the different genres and, and styles and influences and stuff like that make Cowboy Bebop weirdly feel like nothing else. Like it, nothing, it, to, I mean, to me, I don't think that I've ever experienced another anime that is uh, quite the same as, as Cowboy Bebop in many ways. Um, but, but the big one being that like, even though it wears its influences on the sleeves, it kind of isn't just a sum of like influences. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think kind of like as a, as an example of it, so you don't see it. I mean, you do see it in the show itself for sure. Um, but in the movie in particular, uh, I want to I want to say it was on Mars. I can't remember what I, I lose track of what planets what on this show. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I want to say the movie takes place on Mars. Um, but as as you're getting different shots of the city. Yeah, you're right. It is Mars. Yeah. OK, uh, you're getting you get like New York or like the Middle East or mm-hmm. France. I mean, there's like an Eiffel Tower replica. You're getting all of these different uh, city pieces that you recognize from Earth now, but they all somehow blend together into making one city that feels like a natural progression. Like, you you, you don't kind of question that he was just mm-hmm. in a city street, uh, you know, modern New York City street, and now he's in, like, a bazaar, you know, whatever, yeah. in the middle of yeah. whatever. It all flows together, and I think that kind of encapsulates the series as a whole, where you've got all these different elements, but they're blended together so well that you're not thinking about how it, uh, you know, how they're all different pieces. It's so well, uh, you know, assembled and thought through um, that it yeah. works really well. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. Um, well, I, I kind of brought it up. Uh, let's talk about the score by Yoko Kano. Um, I love this score. Uh, this soundtrack is just stunning to me. Um, what do you, what do you, uh, what do you think about it? I, I don't even know what you say. Like, it's 
just yeah. it's so the thing I found funny because as I was looking, you know, researching after I, I finished watching the show is that she almost turned the project down because she hates oh. jazz. Like which is Oh no. She's just not a fan of jazz and so she heard they wanted that kind of thing and like they were able to convince her to do it or whatever, and so she just was able to do it on her own, you know, do it the way she wanted to do it. Uh, and she said she was influenced by when she was growing up in school and doing, um, uh, you know, she was in the brass section and all that. She always wanted to play these like crazy brass parts and write her own stuff. But uh, the band, everybody was kind of content playing middle school level, whatever, and just kind of nobody. The other the other players around her weren't interested in, in experimenting and all that. And all she wanted to do was like freestyle. Um, and so she kind of tapped into that <laughs> spirit and and wrote all this stuff the other thing i found was really interesting is that a lot of shows particularly anime um they kind of have somebody come in and write a bunch of music and that's it mm-hmm. um and then they'll animate the show and put it all together and then some pick the music that fits and all that and apparently with cowboy bebop she did like half before mm-hmm. and then half as they were going she was composing so she could compose it to the scene so it's kind of like the music was impacting the way they did some of the scenes and some of the scenes were impacting the music and it was kind of this feedback loop that was that was allowing it to be more than what a lot of shows would give you. Um, and I thought that was really cool how that that all um, how they arranged all that stuff. And it's kind of That's like something that I didn't actually know about this. Yeah, it's it, it kind of reminds me of how in Star Wars, I don't know about the original trilogy, but I know with the prequels in particular, there are, if you're watching the prequels, there are some scenes where George Lucas decided, okay, this scene, there's going to be no score. I'm just going to turn this over to Ben Burt to do the sound effects. And I'm going to let this be his showpiece scene or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you think back to, not to get too far in the prequels, but the asteroid belt chase in attack of the clones, and you think that, uh, you know, Jango Fett drops those bombs that fall out and hit the asteroid, and it's the coolest fucking sound effect in the history of sound effects. Um, <laughs> that whole scene, there's no score there. Part, it's partially scored, but mostly there's not, because that was just a scene for the sound effects guy, Ben Burt, to just go crazy. And I think that's kind of what they did here with the music, where they said, okay, we're not going to have you, we're not going to use some of the stuff you already wrote. We're going to leave this open to you so you can play with this scene and, and score whatever you want. Um, hmm. And it speaks volumes that the, 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 the band was called seatbelts. They called themselves seatbelts. And yeah. apparently they they have like a whole lore that they're actually in the cowboy bebop universe or something. It's a whole thing, but they've put out like seven albums of like music from, yeah. <laughs> from the show. And they just kept making their own stuff. So yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. So there's definitely a lot of passion in the music department for this, uh, and clearly they were uh, having yeah. fun with it. Yeah, very clearly. Uh, it, it's crazy that you you brought that up about the uh, the fact that like part of it was actually scored to the scenes itself. Like, uh, I mean, it's like you said, you don't usually get that in anime, and I. I think that that's kind of what makes the uh, this like the music in here work so well because it is like uh, like I think about the scenes from Jupiter Jazz hmm. and that sort of um, not a saxophone 
Yeah. But um, kind of Blade Runner sounding. Yeah, yeah, and and just like how well it works within that episode, um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I there really isn't. I I already d- kind of don't understand music on a on a level that I can like talk about it coherently. But um, like I don't it, it, even if I did know that sort of stuff, I actually don't know that there was there's much for me to say because it's just so. I mean, for lack of a better term, it's just so incredible. Yeah. It's really something like special. It, that, it's, um, it's crazy that somehow this show is a masterpiece, and then there's like a masterpiece soundtrack on top of it. Like, it's yeah, just, yeah. Like the the music itself isn't even part of the fact that the show is a masterpiece. It's on its own, its own thing. It's its own masterpiece. Um, yeah. There was another, you know, just another thing that came to mind is that apparently the intro tank, the the opening theme, mm-hmm. apparently that was done in like three takes. And they liked it. So, oh, wow. They liked it so much that apparently I I don't hear them. I don't know it, but apparently there's mistakes all through it and in, in the different tracks. But like they just liked it so much, they just left it. So it's not even a perfect take. It's just <laughs> the, the, that was the one. So they just went with it. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that at all. Um, the, so with that said, um, the one thing that like the two things that I think really got me at least semi uh, excited about this new project is the fact that Yoko Kano came back for, to do the music for the, or, or at least part. Yeah. Uh, or at least parts of it. Right. Um, I don't know if she's composing the full uh, score or not, but like she came back for that and, and Watsonabe, uh is like a creative consultant. So like, that that is definitely heartening for me because I I think if you try to do Cowboy Bebop like any sort of version like if there was a new season or like a live action movie you know the the new live action show that's being released like if you were trying to do anything with it without her score I don't think that it's the same yeah like even remotely and she even did some um, stuff for the video game so like oh yeah she's the, all over the this. one that was on PS2 or something yeah. like that yeah yeah she's uh, her music is something else and uh, definitely go check out some of like seatbelt stuff if yeah. if you're like even remotely interested because uh, like you said they've released like a <laughs> feels like a billion albums with a bunch of music that's like would fit right in with like again more seasons of Cowboy Bebop or whatever yeah. it's really good stuff and hey if the Netflix show sucks at least we get some music out of it so yeah right <laughs> Um, well, uh, I think probably the, the last place to, to sort of take this is, um, to start talking about the, the characters. Um, and I wanted to start by talking about any of the kind of like standout characters that you got from the, uh, any of the like individual episodes, um, like for instance, I have written down here on the outline uh, VT from Heavy Metal Queen, um, but uh, we'll, but we'll start we'll start with you. Or would did anybody really stand out to you as like a a character that kind of like you latched onto? Uh, I think one of the ones that kind of stuck with me was Gren. Um, okay. From, what was that? Jupiter Jazz, the two-parter. Uh, yeah, part um, one and two, I think. Because I, I really liked, I kind of like anything in the show that honestly gives more depth to Faye. Um, 
like anything that pushes her arc forward, I'm like, thank you very much. Thank you, Betamax. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, I just, there's something about that character that I found really just kind of the, a lot of people in that situation where they've basically had their, their normal life taken away from them, like physically. Um, mm-hmm he's just kind of resigned to it. He's just kind of okay with it. He doesn't, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it kind of is what it is. And I thought his, his death at the end of that was really kind of a, a bittersweet kind of thing. He just wants to go back to where he found purpose. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I really liked it again, anything that, that pushes Faye forward. So I really liked the line he said about how, you know, you, you thought they were going to abandon you. So you abandoned them first and kind of yeah. pointing out, kind of her weaknesses um yeah but yeah I, I don't have too much you know nothing profound to say really it's just that that character definitely stuck with me i was thinking about grin a lot after uh, that episode ended or those episodes yeah. whatever um yeah also the uh the the three old dudes the oh yeah the those dudes fucking everywhere <laughs> They're li- I they're not in every episode, but they they pop up enough to where it feels like they are. Yeah. I love those dudes. Apparently, I found <laughs> out there's only two voice actors. One guy does two of them. So, oh wow, really? Yeah. Uh, well, at least in the English. I don't know in the Japanese, but mm, yeah. Damn, that's that's really funny. I didn't. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, you're right. That's crazy. Uh. Antonio, Carlos, and Jobim? Jobim? Jobim. 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 Yeah. Something like that. Uh, yeah. That's funny. That's really funny. I, I love, actually, I love their stories where, like, they'll claim that they were, like, uh, like, oh, man, what they'll say something like, oh, they were in the war or something like that. And then they'll, the the next, like, episode you see them, they'll be like, oh, yeah, we were, like, building the Stargates or, you know, like, we used to be, like, crop dusters or, or yeah. whatever the fuck it may be. Like, I, I love how their story of, like, what they used to be changes constantly. Yeah. That that makes me laugh. Um. Uh, the the one or the, so I have two and I actually think that their episodes are back to back, but oh, the one that I think helps, uh, I mean, Grin obviously I think is is a very great example of, um, you know, bringing out something from the other characters, uh, and and showcasing the kind of like overarching theme of the show, but um. I think my favorite representation of, of the theme is VT and kind of how she, um, how her past informs how she treats other people. Like, I love that. Like she like is like friends with in in that episode. She's kind of like friendly with spike Mm -hmm. until she finds out that he's a bounty hunter. And then you find out that she kind of hates bounty hunters and you, you all like kind of like think, it's based on the, the one interaction that she's had with like the people in the bar and like, she's seen that over and over again type thing, but it's actually because her deceased husband was a bounty hunter. And when you kind of like learn that she's actually just fighting, you know, with her past, it, it really like rings home 
the theme, I think. And I think that she's like a really great representation of that. Um, do you have uh, any thoughts on her in particular? Uh See, there's a lot of things, things that like, I, I honestly, I can't, I'm going to put some time between it, but I can't wait to go back and watch this show again. Now that I know kind of what, once I've understood what the overall themes are and the character arcs and all that stuff, mm -hmm. like, I can't wait to go back and watch it again so I can see how all these characters are actually speaking to those things. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I liked the character. I thought she was fun. I, I didn't quite notice some of that stuff because that was an earlier episode again so i wasn't quite tuned in to some of that stuff yet um mm -hmm. okay i mean that's fair enough yeah i did like um, the character though yeah she i don't know what it is about her but i i particularly like her i don't necessarily like her episode that much but i like her um the the other one that i wanted to to bring up uh is uh is definitely uh Rocco who is um I'm relatively positive he is like the next episode after uh Heavy Metal Queen um and it, I don't know that he necessarily speaks to the overall theme um but I just find his story really heartbreaking. Uh, he's the kid who is on the plane that is being like hijacked or whatever. Uh, and then kind of sees spike just effortlessly beating the shit out of these guys. And is like, Hey, I, I want to be like you so I can, you know, protect myself or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then later on you find out that he owes a bunch of money. And the reason that he owes a bunch of money is because he's trying to find like a cure for his sister's blindness. Um, and his story just is one of the really, really like sad ones. Uh, I really, uh, of all, all of the characters outside of maybe, gr maybe grin. Uh, I, I think that he probably has the, the saddest story of any of the like side characters in the show. Um, and it's just, uh, it's pretty sad. And uh, it left a like, it left a little bit of a mark on me, uh, especially this time around, uh, just because I, I don't know that I necessarily had remembered him um, doing that stuff for his sister. And then like, for whatever reason, I, it came around this time and I was like, oh, that's, this is heartbreaking sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So the, I guess the first one we can kind of get to is Julia, who is voiced by Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. Um, I actually don't know if I have a whole lot to say about this character. Um, is there any thing that you want to, I guess, bring up first and then maybe I can bounce off of you? Uh, yeah, there's really not much to say. She's kind of just the, the MacGuffin, I guess, <laughs> for Spike yeah. in some ways. Uh, she's just this motivating, you know, ghost of his past. Um, yeah. I, there's really yeah. not much development of the character herself. She's interesting. I, I, guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I 100% I agree with that. Um, I think, uh... I really like her design. Uh, like I like the, 
the sort of like the long blonde hair against the backdrop of like when you finally meet her, she's just like an all black. Yeah. Um, but when you see her in like the, the sort of flashbacks, she's in the almost like, uh, like homely is not the right word, but the kind of like, um, uh, motherly. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word either, but like Innocence in all of the, of. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I like how, how the two contrast one another. Um, but I, I don't know that there is much that is given to her in terms of like development or anything like that. So I don't know that there is much to latch onto, um, other than I think she has a cool design. Um, next one is vicious who, uh, is played by Skip Stelricht. Yep. Uh, Nailed it. Um, yeah, right. Uh, what are your thoughts on Vicious? Uh, Vicious, again, there's more to the character. You get more time with him than Julia, but I, I really feel like there's a, almost a point made in that you, you don't get a clear picture of any of these characters' pasts. You just get little kind of hints to it. So mm-hmm. we know that Spike was in the syndicate. We know he was uh, friends with Vicious at one point, and then that fell apart, especially, you know, with Julia in some way came between them or something, and then Spike decided to leave, and, and Vicious saw that as a betrayal and all you know, all this stuff. Um, but we don't really get much of Vicious as a character outside of he's the bad... I mean, his name is fucking Vicious. Like, he's, he's a yeah. bad guy. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't really get all the inner workings of the syndicate and all these uh, things. We just kind of get little allusions to them as they pertain to Spike's story now. Um, mm-hmm. I like his design. Uh, I think he's the voice actor does a good job of making him sound like an edgelord. Uh, <laughs> I find it really interesting that his whole plan, the whole series, he's trying to take control of the syndicate piece by piece. And he has it for like less than a day when he finally gets it. He's like, yeah, right. At, at the end, he's like chained up, and then he takes over, and then he dies. It's like, just like that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's he's an interesting character. He's kind of, I don't want to say stereotypical, kind of anime Final Fantasy ish bad guy, kind of. Ooh, he's evil. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, I I think I agree with you, uh, definitely at the very least to a certain extent. I, I do think that there's, um, a little bit that like, I, I think that he kind of in a way speaks to the theme of the show as well. Like, I kind of think that he can't outrun the, the idea of he and Spike kind of like being friends. And, and this is me like probably projecting stuff that isn't actually there, uh, but like, I kind of like based on like how he kind of like cr- treats Spike and everything, I kind of feel like Spike was someone who he looked up to, so to speak, even though they're, they're the same age or whatever. Um, I kind of feel like, uh, he sees Spike as like when Spike leaves, it's just him like he just holds this sort of like resentment uh, towards the, towards everything. And that's why he's so very much hell bent on like 
getting power and specifically like trying to kill Spike. Uh, I, I kind of read it as a like he's trying to prove his worth almost. Um, again, that that could be like me just putting stuff out there that isn't actually there but that's the way I kind of interpret his character a little bit. I almost get that with some of these characters that there's... So, Quentin Tarantino, when he writes a script, I know this particularly with, like, Django Unchained and and, and, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I'm sure, Inglourious Bastards and stuff too, but what he likes to do is he writes way too fucking much. He just writes Mm -hmm. all kinds of scenes and stuff that will never make it into the movie. It's never going to be shot. It's just way too much. And then he kind of trims it down to a movie, right? But So he can go to a character. The one that springs to mind for me is in Django Unchained. Do you remember the bounty hunter, the woman who had the the bandana, the red bandana? Um, It's kind of a striking visual. She doesn't do fucking anything. She dies. That's it. She looks cool and then she dies. But I think I, I think I remember that like uh, very faintly. Well, apparently the reason she wears the bandana is because her jaw was shot off at some point. And so she's covering oh. that up. But apparently he wrote this whole backstory for this character that's on screen for like a grand total of 30 seconds. And <laughs> that's kind of... And, and so as he's talking to the actors, he can give them all this stuff to inform their character that we don't need to know as the audience. It'll never be in the movie, mm-hmm. but it informs who that character is. And I yeah. feel like that's kind of what you get in this show with a character like Vicious, where there's a whole backstory for him that we just don't know because it's not really relevant to the overall story. But it's there's something in that performance that's being informed by stuff we just don't know that's not communicated yeah. to us. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a, a, a fair assessment. Um, I, I think probably the same thing goes for Julia. Like when you when you look at like the stuff that was going on in the flashbacks, like I'm sure that there's stuff there that you, was probably written as like a, a sort of like basis for her character, but like it never pops up in the actual show itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's a good point. Um, the next character to bring up, uh, is my favorite character. Um, and that is Edward Wong Hapepelu Tivruski the fourth, uh, also known as Ed played by Melissa Fawn or yeah, Fawn. Uh, I love Ed. Um, I, I love her for several reasons, but the, I think the number one is, is that I really do think that she is the uh, almost, and I, I don't want to say antithesis, but I think, I feel like the way that she works as a character is the exact opposite of the other characters and actually is kind of a sort of, um, uh, in a way, a thematic, uh, this is what you should do type thing. Because I really do think that she is like a free spirit and she's very much a kind of like, I'm living how I want to live and I'm making my own decisions. I am living in the moment. Nothing is tying me down sort of thing. And I think that when you get towards the end of the show, 
I actually kind of see her as a sort of like galvanizing force within the crew because I dude the end of Harlock Woman, uh, which is I think session twenty five. I think there's twenty seven episodes in this and uh Hard Luck Woman should be number 25. But the the ending of that episode, not only with just the stuff that's going on with Faye, but when Ed leaves and then you see <laughs> Jet and Spike both just sitting there, like eating the eggs. Like you see yeah. how much of an important character she is to to the crew. Like she was the galvanizing force that made them the family, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What, what What are your thoughts on Ed? That's great. Um, yeah, there, there. You can definitely see the crew kind of get used to her and warm up to her. Uh, like where you know she starts calling Faye Faye Faye, and like it annoys <laughs> her at first, but then she kind of you know she doesn't mind it as much. And then she's calling Ed to like, as she's trying to track a bounty or whatever. And she, there, there's kind of a friendliness between them. Um, and everybody just kind of gets used to Ed being around. Um, even if there's still semantics, they're not fans of, uh, but yeah, she definitely comic relief. Like, like you said earlier that some people view her as just the comic relief character. I think that is important. Um, mm-hmm. But more than that, she's the levity to the crew as they're dealing with all this heavy shit. She's she's just this fun little ball of energy that's just... And also, she's constantly helping them out. Like, she's constantly finding shit on her computer that, like... And they think she's just going crazy, looking up whatever. Like, she's playing this chess game. What is she even doing? Like, whatever. But she's actually doing their job for them, kind of. Um... And I don't know if they ever get into it. They never go into the breakdown, really. But, like, is she even getting paid? Is she even getting part of the bounty? Oh, I sincerely doubt it. Yeah, (laughs) does she even get a cut? She gets the food, I guess. I don't know. Um, Yeah. Yeah, you see how smart she is and how capable she is, particularly in the episode with the mushrooms, uh, where, like, she just totally fucking tracks down this guy, and by the end, he's fucking terrified of this kid. He's like, please just stop. Stop chasing me. Um, yeah, that, that scene of her on the on the, on the uh, train, train yeah. is so funny. But like uh meanwhile the rest of the Bebop crew is just fucking tripping balls back on the on the ship. Yeah. But uh Yeah, I I, I like I, if you look at the overall theme as being how you deal with trauma, she deals with it as kind of it is what it is, and she's just gonna move forward and be happy and nothing's gonna bring her down. Um mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of this just beautiful juxtaposition to how all the other characters go. Um, and honestly, again, this is a thing where I can't wait to watch the show again because, like, I assumed when her last episode, when she leaves, I assumed, oh, she'll be back for the finale. So that that departure didn't hit as much as it might have if I had known that that was actually the final moment for that character on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, it's a great character, and the, and the voice performance is is perfect. Like, there's so much fun and childishness in the voice performance that you really buy it as just this joyful little ball of energy, um, and just a kid being a kid, 
um, yeah. a, a very smart kid, but there's it's just such a fun, energetic performance behind it, behind the character um, that I really appreciate. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Um, one of the things I actually really love uh, about the end of of that episode where she leaves is I love that she is like taped the pinwheel yeah to the like front of of the bebop that just i don't know it's a nice little touch that like i don't know i it that scene in particular makes me tear up every time i just i love her character and i love what she does for the crew and um it's good stuff yeah good stuff uh but the next one uh is probably I have to assume your favorite character, uh, Faye Valentine played by Wendy Lee. Um, tell me how much you love Faye. <laughs> Dude, Faye fucking rules. Um, <laughs> like just get this out of the way. She's pretty easy on the eyes. We'll get, we'll put that past. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think especially before Ed comes in, you've got Jet who's very, calm and reserved for the most part and spike who is very just fucking disconnected from everything that's happening in a lot of ways where he just doesn't give a shit and Faye is way more expressive both in the voice and the and her animation she's got a lot of just a lot of funny expressions they put on her but uh you just get so much out of that character for both humor and and drama and weight to the scenes. And then obviously when you get to these moments where you get more of her backstory or more depth to the character or where she's kind of dropping the whole super confident facade and just being real for a minute. uh, There's just so many great moments and it really, it's why until I started to think about it, the ending of the show disappointed me so much. It's, because the only one who's really not resolved is Faye. That's the only character you really don't get a resolution for because of where she's at. And mm-hmm. it, it leaves this feeling at the end of the show of this, it's very bittersweet. And a lot of the bitter comes from where she's at. Um, yeah. And it's like, I don't even like, yes, Ed's gone, whatever. Spike is dead. I don't care. Just, Fucking give me something. Give me a twenty-minute short story with Faye after this show, so I can see something. Like I, I, I adore this character. Um, from top to bottom, again, from the animation to the design to the to the voice performance to the character arc and the story, I just wanted more of this character. All of the characters, but particularly Faye. Um, and I just think there's a lot there, and and she's the one that. As I was going on, I was able to think back to her story, you know, as I'm watching and thinking, okay, this this explains why she's like this. When you find out about the lawyer and the betrayal, that explains a lot of what I've already seen or the debt she's got. That explains a lot of who she is and why she's doing the things she's doing. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just I just adored this character. Yeah, I I'm right there with you. Uh, I I think after Ed, it's kind of a three way tie between. Uh, Faye, Jet, and and Spike because I can't decide between the three of them. I I love them all so much. Ayn's the best. Ayn is the best. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I really <laughs> I really love 
uh, phase character for all the stuff you said, but I also kind of think that it's really funny that like all of them kind of have this sort of, uh, frozen in time quality about them where they're stuck. They can't move forward because they can't, they haven't dealt with their past, so to speak. So they're just like stuck. But like Faye was like, like literally frozen in time. (laughs) That's just a, a, a funny little like, uh, thing. But yeah, her story is really, it's really heartbreaking especially when you when you consider that like so she loses her family um during the uh what it was some sort of explosion right it like was an the, accident the space accident thing yeah you know, yeah the, the ship like broke apart or something i don't know yeah it was something so but she's she's saved she's cryogenically frozen and she's saved uh but then it, not only does like that sort of thing have like a super long-term effect on her by like, she doesn't like all of those people you see in, in like hard luck woman, like all of the people that she was friends with when she was actually 23 or, or how, however old it was. Um, those people are now like significantly older than her. And, and like, She's, I mean, technically she's still, you know, she is like 77 or whatever, but like the whole idea of like, she can't be friends with the people that she was friends with before because of this accident that happened to her is really kind of like, oh fuck, man, that's, that's awful. But then she gets like released from her cryogenic, uh, state and like is immediately taken advantage of. And it's like, yo, what the fuck, man? Like this poor girl just had like really horrible like again she no longer has any of her friends her uh her parents are are dead and she doesn't remember any of them anyways oh yeah yeah i mean that's that's totally fair Uh, that doesn't come until like a little bit later in the series but um but it's one of those things that's like and and then these asshole people like straight up just take advantage of her and like saddle her with a fuck ton of debt and like that's kind of like to leads her down the path where she is. And it's, I don't know. I, I love how, how like deeply she is written on a character level, uh, with, with all of that stuff going on. But like, I, I kind of just love like the way that she interacts with people. Like she's not above using her, her sexual appeal to, to get what she wants. And she's also a complete and total badass. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Faye is, is definitely like, I, she's one of the, one of the greatest, uh, female type protagonist in, in, in a, any anime. Uh, I, she's great. Uh, she's really fucking great. <laughs> yeah, and I like how they 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 could have made her very much incompetent or needing to rely on others, but she goes out and catches bounties herself. Like she's she's like the rest of them in that they all fuck up kind of equally, um, mm-hmm. or somebody gets away, or they got the wrong target, or something. But she can hold her own fine. I mean, in that it, toward the it was like the second to last episode where she's in the car with Julia. She just like one shots the tires on multiple cars. Like doesn't even have to, yeah. doesn't even take multiple <laughs> shots. She just kind of takes aim and bam, shoots out the tire. 
like she's totally capable on her own, which is even more impressive when you consider she's built this up in three years. She's just had to survive and she's built up this skill set. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just, I, I, I love everything about this character and that's why I'm so like, I think the, the, I, I can't remember when I, I said it to you all after we recorded last week that like this Netflix show, it's like Faye is the one thing I'm looking at. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if yeah. they got this, but, but, uh, in fairness, it would be a hard character to replicate. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, Daniel P- Pineda, Daniela I think is her Pineda. name. Something. Yeah. She's got some big fucking shoes to fill. <laughs> like, uh, and tiny yeah, fucking pants. Um, tiny, tiny pants, big shoes. Um, the next character is, uh, Jet Black, played by Bo Billingsley. Um, how do you feel about, Jet. So Jet, I think, is next to Ed the happiest resolution. Yeah. Um, because as the show's going, where whereas with Faye and Spike, you kind of wait, and even Ed, you wait till the end to see how they resolve. Um, Jet is kind of continually in a position of resolving his past, uh, be it with his, his former lover or his former partner. And he's able to let go of those situations after they're resolved. It may be painful as they're happening, but when it's done, he's able to, to put that aside and, and move on from it. Um, I think going back to what you said about loneliness, he's just kind of lonely. I think it's interesting that the, again, even the joke episodes kind of play on these themes, like the mushroom episode. You have Spike, who's stuck on an endless staircase just trying to get to heaven trying to get to death you have Faye who is buried underwater you know you you could read that as depression or the weight of her debt or whatever she's just swimming in this endless sea of water in her little drug trip and with Jet he just wants to talk to somebody he's just kind of lonely (laughs) like yeah he's just talking to his little bonsai trees um but yeah you get those resolutions with his past and so at the end when Spike is leaving, he's okay letting him go. He doesn't try to talk him out of it, really. He just kind of shares one last little laugh with him, and Spike leaves, and he doesn't stop him or anything like that. Um, yeah. So I think that's really uh, a, a great arc, even if it is still bittersweet at the end. Um, and he really is, if you look at this as a family, he really is the father figure of the, oh, of yeah. the team. Um yeah, and and you can you can tell even though he's got, he he talks a big game where he's always going to ditch people and leave them or whatever he'll still, uh, he'll still come back for him in the end and help him out and like, particularly the episode with the Betamax where they're trying to find that like. By all like he starts out the episode and he's like, well she's paying for it right, she's paying for this delivery and then by <laughs> the end he's flying to another planet to try to get a player just to figure out they're climbing down into an abandoned shopping mall just to get a fucking Betamax player to <laughs> to see what's on this tape like so he'll he he plays a tough guy but he really does care about his crew and and these people so i, I he's such a great he's just a great character all around yeah i agree uh i really i 
I I do like the fact that you brought up that like uh, even though his story does have like a like a, a more happy ending, it's very it is very bittersweet because uh, I I think at the end of the day, like the the woman that he really loved, like he has to end up letting her go, right? And like he, but from there kind of like grows as a character um and so it is it is very like sad but at the same time like he gets to move forward with it and uh i i feel like after Faye, obviously i think that jet at the end is like the character that i feel kind of the I don't want to say the worst for, but like he's the character that like I think kind of hits me the hardest, like how Spike leaving like changes him because like much like Faye, he has finally come to the realization that he has a family here and he comes to that conclusion kind of before Faye does, but like he loses Ed the episode before Hmm. And then he, you know, loses his kind of like son, um, you know, at, at the end of the the last episode. And it's just I, I hit. It's very I don't know. Uh, it's, it's definitely a, a sad but like kind of bittersweet because he's kind of he, he has come to that conclusion that he he can't be like his own person and he doesn't have to like live in the past anymore sort of thing. Yeah. And he, he kind of does juxtapose Faye in a lot of ways, you know, where, okay, with not, this isn't quite Faye, but with, with the, the, the woman, I can't remember her name, the, the former, his former girlfriend or lover or whatever, um, who kind of hasn't been in a situation where you have this, this past relationship that, that to some extent may have been toxic and whatever. And you always think about that person, and then when you finally see them again, you kind of just pity them. Like it's yeah. you kind of realize, like, oh, I I kind of came out all right, and this is just sad. And he's able to do the thing that a lot of people aren't able to do, and just let it go. He's able to just say, "I'm I'm moving on from this. I'm not holding on to this anymore." But more so, the comparison to Faye is with the partner. You know, Faye was betrayed, and she kind of holds that betrayal against everyone she encounters where she expects everyone to betray her. But with jet, his partner, the, the guy he trusted most betrayed him in the end. And it's the reason he lost mm-hmm. his arm. And it's, that's, that's the whole thing, but he's able to settle that and resolve it and move forward. And he then doesn't hold that against other people, just his partner, just the guy who was responsible. And mm-hmm. so, whereas, you know, so I think, you know, talking about how different people approach their past trauma, I think you get a really interesting comparison. I think there's a reason why they put it. So Spike says his farewell to to uh, Jet and then says his goodbye to Faye and the way they react is so different because of their views on how they're dealing with their past and how they're moving forward from it. Uh, where Faye needs to cling to some, She needs someone now, whereas Sp- uh, Jet's able to just accept it and move on. And he may miss Spike. He may still think about him, but he's, this is just the next step. I'm going to move on. So. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's probably the best way to, to summarize everything. Uh, I love Jet. Very good character. 
Um, but last but not least, we have Spike Spiegel played here by Stephen Blum um, or Steve Blum, depending on. I, I think in the actual credits, it was Stephen Blum, but he goes by Steve now. Uh, uh, it's here that I wanted to bring up something very uh, specific before we kind of talk about his character. I think Steve Blum is a, a an excellent voice actor. I, I love him in everything he's in. I think he's very, very good. Uh, but I wanted to bring this up now because I, I think that he kind of like stands out as, as really great in the show. Um, the dub for this show is in my mind, the best dub of any anime ever. It's fucking flawless. Um, (laughs) It's, it's literally flawless. Uh, and this is actually one where I prefer the dub over like in terms of like voice acting, because uh, I like watching anime dubbed for the reason that, like, I like to pay attention to the animation and stuff that's going on. And when I'm trying to, like, read subtitles and stuff like that, it, it kind of gets in the way. So once I've, like, watched an anime with a dub, uh, like, I will, if, if I like it enough, I'll go back and I'll watch it with with the subs on. So then I can kind of like hear the differences and stuff. This is one of the only animes that I think I prefer the American dub over the, the Japanese original. Um, it's just incredible here. And, and part of that is, is Steve Blum as Spike. Uh, well, did, I know that kind of came out of nowhere, but is there anything else that you wanted to add on that? There was, um, I can't remember exactly how it came about, but there, there, so a lot of times with with anime, what happens is they don't really care about the dub. They just kind mm-hmm. of ship it off to a production company. Either either a they just ship it off to some dubbing company, and then they don't give any direction at all. And so it kind of it's not uh, you know it's not a, a detriment of or it's you know whatever it's not speaking ill of the voice actors. They're just not really given direction, um, and that's why a lot of it and it's rushed and and whatever it just doesn't come out right. Uh, or there's the opposite side where it's overmanaged and they want exactly certain things and you must do this even though when you take Japanese dialect and mannerisms and all that and try to put it into English, it doesn't work at all. It's weird. Yeah. So apparently yeah. there was an effort to make this a good dub. They went for experienced voice actors. They went for people who knew what they were doing. And it shows. It shows that they 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 really wanted it to get it right with this even though you know over in japan they they may not speak english they may not be able to direct it there was an english director um but they actually cared about the final product because they wanted it to be good they wanted it to be something that people would enjoy um and it just shows what a little effort can do um yeah one thing i found out i wanted i wanted to mention is that uh spike's final line where he just says bang Mm -hmm. um Steve Blum has a tattoo of the waveform of that on his arm. Oh, that's very he, cool. He took the waveform of that line and it's on his uh his left arm on his like right over the vein. It's pretty cool. Um But yeah, it's uh clearly these characters meant a lot to um the actors. Uh, clearly they cared about it. Clearly there was a lot of passion in this recording. Um yeah, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, 
but uh, go ahead. Tell me, tell me your thoughts on on Spike. Uh, Spike is a cool guy. Um, <laughs> Next. Yep. Moving uh, on. <laughs> yep. Uh, Spike. Spike is great because kind of the opposite of Faye where Faye is really expressive and you get a lot of animation in the face and you get a lot of, uh, you know, you, you see exactly what she's thinking. Um, Spike is like very reserved and quiet, but you still get a lot of depth in the performance and in the animation and in the you know design of him. You're still, you you can learn a lot about him by watching, even if he's not on the nose saying things or always expressing things. It's just in his actions where you, he may seem like he doesn't care, but he does like he, he still does the right thing in the end. Um, it's, it's very nuanced character, which is not something you get a lot in anime. Um, mm which again so far what i've seen is good but it's like in the netflix show it's like i don't know how you you get that perfect peanut butter and chocolate again <laughs> like yeah yeah where all these the everything from the design to the performance to the writing all comes together to make this this great character um but i really like that that uh, i'm just going to say it again i can't wait to watch the show again because knowing how his whole philosophy uh, that that he he's he half suspects he's in a dream because ever since you know julia's gone he doesn't quite know she's dead until that's directly confirmed for him but he's just kind of going through his life just kind of wandering and like it's all kind of summed up in the scene where he's about to burn up in the atmosphere and he just lights a cigarette and says whatever happens happens like he's just yeah you know he's just kind of going about it and whatever it is it is and i think that the the I, I was trying to read about it because i was trying to see what different people thought about the ending and i think it's tragic in the fact that he chooses to leave this family because he just you know if he doesn't get the future he wanted with julia that's it like he's dead mm. he just wants he's, he's just done living that's that's the future he wanted and if he can't have it then that's it I've also heard it argued or read argued that people were saying that he had to go confront Vicious because if he didn't, because of the rules of the syndicate or whatever, Faye and Jet would have been hunted forever by the syndicate. So he had to go settle that. He had to go resolve that. So it, kind of he's getting what he wanted in death, but he's also doing one last act to save his friends, showing that he mm. does care about them. Even if he is leaving them, he is doing something for them. Um I think it was really interesting the the in the movie which I found out about <laughs> I finished the show and then I found out there was a movie and I was like oh fuck yeah there's more thank you um in I, I didn't this is I didn't know anything about this but I was like oh yes there's more um but the 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 villain in that the the bounty they're after yeah is, Vincent is no no in the is it Vincent yeah, yeah I, uh, every time they say Vincent, like, I kept thinking that's really close to vicious, and I kept thinking, "Am I yeah. hearing that right?" Um, <laughs> yeah. But that character Vincent is kind of the opposite of Spike, where he has this past trauma, and he just decides 
everybody should die. Like, mm-hmm. he he feels like he's a ghost. He's living in it. He even says something about how he's living in a dream. It's all just a dream. Or what he says something that sounds very similar to what Spike and Julia say. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like, so everybody, I'm just going to kill everybody. Where Spike is just kind of like not reluctant good but just he's kind of helping people because it's just a thing to do he's just more in the bounty hunting business because it's a thing he can do whatever he doesn't really care um yeah so i I, it's a character i feel like i could say a lot about and not say enough about unless i go back and watch the show with all the context again um yeah but yeah Yeah, i yeah I agree with that. Uh, I I find Spike to be a uh, really um, maybe not uh, like all. How do I want to phrase this? Maybe it's not like all shown in the series or what have you, but I kind of think that Spike is a very deep character. Um, And I, I don't know. This time I actually took uh, a little bit more of a um, uh, from from him. I took away less of a um, aloof kind of thing where he he kind of like goes with the flows uh, like in a uh, like he doesn't care. Uh, um, That's not the right way to phrase it, but like. I instead of taking it as more of a almost Ed like approach, I kind of took it as like a sort of um, apathetic. Like yeah. what I what I gleaned from it this time was like a- apathy. Like he kind of just doesn't care. Like it's not so much that he uh, is pretending to not care, and that he's like when he's having that one scene or that where he's trying to teach uh, Rocco in um, that one episode that I brought up. I don't yeah. remember the name of it, yeah. but, and he's trying to like teach him like, yeah, you got to go with the flow and blah, blah, blah. That's him putting on a facade. I, I feel like that deep down, he just, when he died or, or like faked his death or whatever, I feel that actually like was his death. And from there forward, it was almost like him trying to, uh, I I don't want to say live again, because that's not the quite the way that I want to phrase it. But like, that's for lack of a better like term, uh, that, that is kind of like what I took away from it this time. Um, was more so that like he, he, his self, so to speak, died, you know, a long time ago. And that when he is, uh, finally like confronting Vincent or vicious at the, at the end of the, uh, at the end of the series, it's him kind of like affirming life, affirming that he like actually is alive and, you know, stuff like that. Um, Everything about this character is fucking cool, though, from like the way that he looks to the way that he reacts. And like, I I don't know. I I'm not sure that there's much I can say without doing like a whole like fucking 
hour-long diatribe about how great Spike is. Um, the one thing I did want to bring up, though, is I kind of love the way that um, the the final scene happens where it kind of ends with him, you know, on the staircase, and then it just kind of pans up over the city and then goes up into the stars, and then, like, the one little star kind of, like, yeah. goes out. Um, I don't know if that has anything to do with Spike. I just love that. Well, that tied back to the, uh, when, uh, oh geez, what episode was it? Now, now I'm blanking. There was that episode where the, uh, the, the Native American guy was like talking about a star burning out. Oh, when, when it was with Gren, it was the, the, yeah. that one. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he points out a star a shooting star and says that's that's a warrior whatever fate you know whatever um he's passing on or something and so i think it was a callback to that um i find it funny that there's a lot of people who are like well maybe spike isn't dead like what what fucking what like <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense but yeah um especially when it cuts at the end to a, to a shot of his face the black and white still uh, at the end there um mm-hmm. it's like no he's he's dead uh, he's very clearly dead it's very clearly <laughs> like um but yeah that ending man like i can only think of two shows i'm sure there's more May, well, honorable mention to chuck i guess but i can only think of two shows that when it ended i just wanted more of the characters Mm-hmm. Like I did not want it to end. And the two are very different shows. One is that 70s show, which is, I don't know, that might sound ridiculous to some people, but like that is a, a, I just, which now they're making more. So, Hey, maybe I'll should be careful what I wish for. But, um, <laughs> it was that and Mad Men, Mad Men left it uh, where it's like, yeah. I just give me the seventies. I need more of these people. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I just need to see more. And this is another one, and obviously Spike's gone, Edge you could maybe do something with, but I just want more from Faye and Jet. I just want to see more of this galaxy, I want to see more of these characters, I just want to see what happens next. And so, like you were saying with the ending there, I I don't, this sounds bad, I guess, I don't know, it's probably more common but like i don't really watch credits but i just sat there watching it like just kind of contemplating everything that had happened there at the end because it leaves you with a lot and it leaves you with that sort of that bittersweet feeling but like okay i i (laughs) so samurai shampoo i won't spoil the ending because if anybody hasn't watched it go watch it it's fucking great but i thought Okay, I know how that show ends, so I bet this show ends up the opposite. <laughs> like, I bet they <laughs> twist the ending. And it's not quite, it's not the opposite, but it's not quite the same as what happens. And there, there are differences there. Um, but I did not think anybody was going to die at the end of this. So yeah. really, as soon as I saw Spike walking down the stairs, I was like, oh man, here we go. What's gonna, okay? He's good. He's gonna he's gonna limp back to the bebop, and it's gonna oh he's fucking dead, <laughs> like, and it just 
the ending of this show it left me thinking and the more i think about it the more it's just a perfect closure to everything that was set up it, 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 there's there's no wasted time in this show you know we were talking about the beginning about how the episodic nature of it how some episodes don't quite relate to a main plot or whatever you get these kind of um individual short stories kind of in a, like an anthology almost uh not really but kind of um but there's really no wasted space in there there's nothing there's no episode that that feels like they're just filling time they didn't push it to seven seasons or something they just told their story as best they could and as perfectly as they could and let it end and leave you just enough wanting more um but also giving as much as a rough uh, as much of a resolution as they needed to for the story they were telling um <laughs> And and the way the show ends on Spike there is just I, I think it's just perfect. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Um. All right, let's uh, let's go ahead and give our final thoughts and ratings. Uh, how do you want to How do you want to do the ratings this time? Uh, I am going to give this show. I think I just kind of gave my overall. <laughs> impressions um yeah yeah <laughs> i'm gonna give it 10 bell peppers and beef out of 10 nice um yeah uh that said i i echo everything that you have to say uh this show is uh i mean i i, I said it earlier i kind of in in kind of some ways still don't know why it left such a uh mark on me um when i was a kid because i don't think that i truly grasped what this show was about until like now ish like until i was an adult um this show fucking rules man this show is uh, i i again i said it earlier i think it's very distinctly an adult anime which is not necessarily something you get all the time um i think a lot of it is like aimed towards teenagers and and younger kids and i think that the um this show in particular is very much about adults and is for adults and it speaks to me now in a totally different way than it did when i was what like 12 or 13 um, but this show oozes style. It has so much like it from, from the character designs to the animation, to the music, like it's just top tier all the way around in everything that it does. Um, I, I, I mean, I kind of don't know what to say other than like, it's my favorite anime of all time. Uh, and I don't see that changing anytime soon um cowboy bebop is a is a treat and if you like anime and haven't seen this for whatever reason um you should you should do that um I saw, because I it's great i saw a great comment that cowboy bebop is the one anime you can watch without feeling like a weeb 
Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know how true that is necessarily. I think there's a lot of great anime out there, but I think it speaks volumes that this is just, it, it feels like it doesn't lean into the anime tropes. It's just, yeah. it's using that medium to tell a fucking great story and it does it well. It does it perfectly. It just, it's not, it doesn't need to rely on, you know, even, even, the, even when there is sexuality or whatever with Faye, right? It's part of the mm-hmm. character. It's, it, it makes sense. It's there for a reason. It's not, you know, it's just, it really, this, this, this really does feel like a masterpiece of the medium. <laughs> Kind of like we yes. were talking about last week with Watchmen. Even though I didn't like Watchmen, it's it's hard to argue that that's not a masterpiece of the comic book medium. Like, I think Cowboy Bebop is just perfection in anime. Um, oh yeah, and that that anybody could enjoy. Even if you don't like anime, you'll probably like this. So, yeah, yeah. I I think perfectionist that is the word to to throw around with this. I, I genuinely, even in some of the episodes that I like less, like I don't like brain scratch as much as like, um, like some of the other episodes in the series. Right. Like I, I, it's just, it's a weird one or, um, I, I'm not a, I'm not a gigantic fan of say like, uh, speak like a child. I don't know that that's necessarily like, uh, an episode that I really am like, dying to see again but uh even those episodes i don't hate them like there, there's yeah. like there's nothing in here that i am like this is bad like uh, at the worst at the absolute worst the thing that it puts out is good and if the worst thing that you're putting out is good it's like what are we even doing here like I don't know. Uh, Cowboy Bebop is a perfect show, I think. The only flaw um, in this show is that they never fucking explain what a data dog is. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting the whole time for that to come back, and they just, nope. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, he knows some shit and really likes Ed. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I. that's what the second episode, right, where they get behind, yeah. and he's like, yeah, he's a data dog. And he's they worth millions of talked about again. <laughs> it's just never anything. It's uh, good stuff. Um, yeah, uh, oh, uh, so, I I mean, I think it's pretty clear, but my, my rating would also be 10 bell peppers and beef out of 10. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Um, but, all right, <clears throat> we're right at the two-hour mark, so... Let's wrap this up. Um, as always, you can find us on social media for all things culture ball hunting pixels. Nope. I fucked it up. I even like have it in the outline correctly and I fucked it up. Uh, culture pop, culture pop selects and the culture pop family of content. Culture pops available on Twitter at culture underscore pop on Instagram at culture underscore pop on YouTube at culture pop. I'm available on Twitter at the Bebopman182, on Instagram at Bebopman182, and on Twitch at the underscore Bebopman, where I streamed. Uh, I, well, I think I streamed. My internet was being a piece of shit that night for whatever reason. Um, and I, I'm about to start doing so uh, again pretty soon. So, um, yeah, go check that out. And then finally, we got Mr. Gilbeezy. Uh, he's available on Instagram at Gilbeezy Skit. That is G I L B E E Z Y 
S-K-I-T. Um, last thing I wanted to mention uh, is that next week there will, uh, I presume, not be an episode because I will be out of town for a wedding. Uh, but the following episode will be on um, Veep Seasons 1 and Season 2. Uh, so Veep is a very funny show. Um, you should watch it if you haven't and get caught up, uh, with those first two seasons so you can talk about them with us. Um, but I think that's it. Uh, oh, sorry. One last thing. All right. If you're interested in what we're doing here, uh, go over to patreon.com slash culture toss us a pledge. We're offering very cool perks, including like early access to these episodes, as well as uh, some exclusive content uh, that will be coming uh, relatively soon. I'm still working out the details on that, um, but we'll uh, we'll be getting more stuff up only for patrons uh, here soon. Um, so, yeah, with that all said, thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. Not next week. Next time. There we go. Eventually. Uh, eventually. At some point. <laughs> See you, Space Cowboy. See you, Space Cowboy. When angels are forced out of heaven, they become devils. You agree, don't you, Spike? I'm just watching a bad dream I never wake up from. I'll wake you up right now. What's your rush, Vicious? After all... It's been a long time.